Our 2014 theme is Freedom in Christ, subtitled The Year of the Lord's Favor, because we're basing it off the year of Jubilee, and combining it with the Northside 75th anniversary and the concept of being freed during the Jubilee year, the Hebrews were. And we want to look this year at a lot of things that we have been set free in, and set free from, and set free for. Uh, so we're going to look at a number of different series, uh, a lot of them we just don't realize. We, we don't claim some of the freedoms that we have. Uh, our first series was Free and Clear, God's Roadmap to Debt-Free Living. And we talked about a physical thing, a financial thing, about how many folks are in debt to, uh, in slavery, uh, to finances. And we did that leading up to a course on that, which is going on now, and we hope that that uh, helps a number of Northsiders and a lot of folks from not Northside that are attending that to uh, live a more abundant life in Christ. Uh, We start our second series this morning, Free from Sin. Uh, We go from a physical freedom to a spiritual freedom. Uh, We go from a freedom that makes this life better, the financial thing we talked about for a few weeks, that makes uh, this life more abundant. And now we're going to talk about a freedom that makes eternity different. This series uh, is an important series to hear all of it. I usually don't say anything about that. I I know that most people uh, attend all of a series, but if you're ever going to attend all of a series, this is the one to attend. Uh, Try to catch every lesson in it, uh, because it starts really bad. It's going to get better. Uh, This series starts, in fact, the first couple of weeks are really bad. But if you stay for all of it, you hang in there for all of it, this freedom from sin concept is a great thing. You ever go to a movie or watch one on TV that the first 10 minutes or 20 minutes, you just sit there and think, why in the world am I watching this? This is just not good. But then it gets rolling. It finally hits its stride and you got everything, the groundwork laid and it gets really good. And you're thankful you hung in there. I think this series is going to be a little like that. Uh, it's going to start pretty bad. But I know the whole series. So the, the songs that we were singing this morning, I was thinking, man, we ought to just sing those songs every week. You know, these songs, uh, they mean something. Uh, probably you're not quite there yet because you don't know what the series is about. But uh, stay for all of it. Today, we've got to settle one of the basics. Uh, what's so bad about sin? Uh, We're talking about freedom from sin, free from sin being a great thing. Well, what's so bad about sin? And the reason I have to ask that is because uh, in this world today, sin's really no big deal. It's treated like that in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, by a lot of people. It's just kind of accepted and tolerated, and sometimes it causes a few problems, but let's not even talk about sin. That makes people nervous. Well, if being free from sin is a great thing, a thing to get excited about, a thing to preach about for a whole series, if that's so great, then what's so, we got to find, sin's bad. Well, what is so bad about sin? Uh, 
just a cursory reading of God's Word tells us that this is the ultimate matter of life and death. Romans chapter 6 was read for you. Let's just read verse 22 and 3 again. Paul's talking, and Paul's excited about this because he's been freed from sin. And he called himself the chief of sinners. He's been freed from it. And he says in verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefits you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're talking about the ultimate matter of life and death. Sin causes death. Being free from sin gives us life. So we need to know what's so bad. We've got to know what sin is. We have to understand it. That's today's sole task, is to try to get in our mind what sin is and look at it. Now, there are many ways to look at sin. Uh, Speaking in generalities, the people in this room probably look at sin considerably differently than many of our co-workers and our acquaintances. Just in general. I'm, I'm sure there's differences in here. Some people think about sin one way, some look at it another way. There's probably a bigger difference between what this room or people in Wichita think about sin compared to if we took a poll in Hollywood or Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York City. People look at sin differently, folks. It's only three little letters. You know, it shouldn't be hard to figure this out. But if we ask a bunch of people, we'll get a bunch of different answers. So what we've got to go to is the standard. We have to look at the book. Uh, We're going to start easy. We're just going to see how the Bible defines sin. There are at least five Greek words that define sin, that are translated sin. And I put those on your handout uh, so you can read more detail if you want. You can see where they're used. But for our purposes, let's just look at the words themselves. One word means lawlessness. One means to go astray, to get off the path. One means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. You miss the target. Another one's unrighteousness. 1 John 5, 17 says all unrighteousness is sin. That makes sense. If God's standard is what's righteous, unrighteousness, so anything that's not righteous, by definition, is sin. Another word mean, is translated disobedient. So when you know what God wants, when you know what his standard is, when you know what his rule is, and you're disobedient to that. And all of those words kind of make sense to us. Uh, probably the one that you're the most familiar with, the most preachers use, is that one word for miss the mark. And we usually illustrate it this way. And we put a target up there, and the arrows are a lot better than bullet holes, so you put arrows all around it. And you say, see, look, this guy missed the mark. 
And that's the word for sin. It means you miss the mark. And then sometimes preachers go on and say, doesn't matter how far you miss it. You can miss it a mile or a millimeter. You just miss it. And that's sin. Well, that gives us kind of a odd nitpicky picture of God, I think. If we'd really think and look at the word, what it means, that misses the mark word. The truth is, it's not just to miss the target. It's got more of a concept of shooting at the wrong target is really what it means. It's not like I put a target up here and I bring my son up when he's little and say, okay, now shoot some arrows at this. And he, and he misses and misses and misses and he's getting closer and closer and closer. And I say, well, you're still missing. It's more like if I, I bring a, a child up and say, here's the target, shoot at this. And the child says, I'd rather shoot at that tree. I'd rather shoot at that bird. I'd rather just shoot over there. I know that's what you want me to shoot at, but I don't want to shoot at that. I want to shoot at another target. That's what missing the mark really means. And that's what all these other words mean. And they've all got that connotation to them that it's not just missing, but it's disregarding what God wants. So they've all got that connotation, but the most accurate word is lawlessness. It's got that connotation in it of ignoring the law. I know better. I'll be my own law. I know this is what you want, God, but I'd rather do it this way. We understand that concept. Now, this week, I don't know how many of you pay attention to news programs or any of that, but I watch a few and listen to a few. And I heard this word all week, lawless. And understand, this is nothing political. Maybe just because I had this sermon on my mind, I heard it more than some of you. But I heard it because that's what the political world is talking about. Because our president is doing some things that he thinks are the right things to do. But his opposition says, he's ignoring the law. And they said lawless over and over. They said that decision is lawless. He's not abiding by the law. And it's not that he's just missing the Constitution by a little bit. He's saying, I don't care about that. Now, I'm saying what his opponents say. They're saying he's lawless because he's going to do it his way. He's going to sign an executive order, even though a lot of lawyers and scholars and everybody else say he can't do that. The law says, okay, you get the concept? It's not just missing a, a target by a millimeter. It's this whole attitude that I can do it my way. All right, we've got a definition. Let's go with lawlessness or whichever one you like. But but understanding there is that attitude. Going astray doesn't mean just stepping off the path accidentally. Going astray means wandering off the path because you think you know a better way. So we've got our definition. 
Now, without understanding God, which is next week, that still doesn't really seem so bad, does it? What's so bad about sin? Well, it's lawlessness. Okay. But we've got to understand God, and we'll tackle that next week. But today, let's get just a little bit of it. Let's see if God weighs in on this. Uh, let's see if he has a way of talking about it. Now, I said there are different ways of looking at sin. Maybe God's picture of sin is a lot different from ours. Let's see if God weighs in on this, what he would personally describe sin as. Here are three verses where God specifically speaks. Jeremiah 44, 4. It says, again and again, I sent my servants, the prophets, who said, do not do this detestable thing that I hate. Something different from God's law. Worshiping a different God. Doing this differently. Those are detestable things. God says, I hate them. Pretty strong language. Habakkuk 1.13 prophet says about God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God says, wrong thing, lawless things, off the past thing, missing the mark. I cannot tolerate it. Revelation 21, 27 is talking about heaven and it's the city of God where he is. And it says nothing impure will ever enter into it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Sinners can't get in heaven. Why? Because they can't, God can't have it in his presence. He can't have sin in his presence. Now these are some things that God specifically says himself to describe sin to us. It means lawlessness. It means missing the mark. But beyond that, to God, it's a detestable, hateful, something he can't tolerate. He can't have it in his presence. Let's just take a little different view. How about you and me? How do we look at sin? Well, it looks a little different to us. Pictorially, this sin is different than my other sins in in the slide. This one's kind of classy, isn't it? Kind of fancy looking sin. Do we hate sin? Do we tolerate it? Do we detest it? Do we accommodate it? Yes, to all of those. What do you mean? Well, some of the sin we hate, some we tolerate. Some we detest, some we accommodate. Can we have sin in our presence? Let me ask you, can you have sin in your presence? Well, yes and no. There's some I can, and there's some I don't. And you're sitting there saying, hold it, preacher. Are you saying it depends? Yeah, I'm saying it depends. It de- With us, it's not like with God. With us, it depends on the sin. It depends on a lot of things, whether we hate it or detest it or tolerate it or can have it in his presence. Let me suggest two ways, two things that make that difference. First, 
the more like God we become, our pretty picture of sin starts to shrink and we start to see a little different side of sin. The more like God we become. Here's the best way I know to illustrate that. I want you to think of the most godly person you know. A real saint now. Be your sainted grandmother, if that's the one you can think of. The one that did everything right, knew what the Bible said, didn't tolerate any foolishness. Somebody that you would place on a pretty high pedestal, really godly. Now that you've got that picture in mind, keep her or him over here on this pedestal. Now, think through this past week. Think of everything that you did, everything you watched, everything you read, everything you laughed at. Would that person on the pedestal, would you share all of that with that person? You say, well, no. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let Grandma see that. She wouldn't tolerate it. Okay, what's the difference? Uh, I would suggest whoever's on your pedestal is more like God. I'm not saying they're God or divine. I'm just saying they've gotten closer to God. They've become more like Him. They, they understand his will. They understand who he is. They, they want to become more like him. Look at the other direction. Kids growing up, they go through the same process in a physical way. You ever have a small child come in and ask you, say, Dad, can I do this? You say, well, no, he can't do that. That's stupid. That'd be bad for you. Dad, there's snow outside there. Can me and my brother climb up on the roof and dive off into the snowbank? Well, no, you can't do that. You'd get hurt. And then a little bit later, your kids go through a stage where they'll come to you and they'll say, Dad, I know you're going to say no, but could I do this? Okay. What's happening? They're learning more of your will. They're getting closer to understanding you. They're becoming more like you, if you want to say it that way. And finally, they'll get to a point, hopefully, where they'll do something on their own accord and say, I'm doing this because this will please Dad. I want to do this because I want to please Dad. Do you understand the growth there? Okay, that's how we look at sin. The more like God we become, the more we understand His will, the more we know, I know He wouldn't like this, to, I'm not going to do that because that's detestable to me. I can't tolerate that. Okay? Now, that's a constant growing process. None of us get there, but we get closer to it. Okay? The other factor in this concept of mine. The other factor is how much has sin affected us? If sin's affected us personally in our life, then we start to, instead of seeing kind of a pretty classy sin, we see how bad sin really is. We begin to see more and more of the dangers of sin. 
if we've personally been affected by sin in our life, in our family, then we look at sin differently, I would propose. I pick the paper up and I read on the front page about a, a drunk driving incident. Somebody was drunk and ran into somebody else and killed them or maimed them. And what do I think? I think that's really bad. I think that's horrible. But there's a group called MAD, M-A-D-D, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. They're organized to do something about that. Why are they madder about drunk driving than I am? Because somebody in their family was maimed or killed by a drunk driver. And they look at it differently now. They see it way differently than I do. I haven't been personally affected by that. Whatever sin we're talking about is the same way. Adultery, divorce, drunkenness, alcoholism, drug, whatever. When you've seen in your family what that does to the kids, when it's personally affected you somehow, one or two degrees away from you, you see it differently. I pick up the paper and read about some crackhead boyfriend that abuses his girlfriend's baby, fractures his skull, breaks his ribs. I read that thing all the time. I see that and I think, that's awful. I think how lucky that guy is that that's not my grandkid. I think that, but think this. What if it was your grandkid? What would you think about that sin then? How many tears would you shed about that sin? How mad would you be about it? How much would you detest it, hate it, not want to tolerate it? You see the difference? The more more it affects us, the more we see the results of it. Elaine could amen this. Preachers, amen this. Elders, amen this. Because they sit down with people who have been affected by sin in their lives, in their families, and they talk to them and they see the destruction and the hurt and the dysfunction that it causes. And they walk out of that counseling session and they say, I hate sin. That's the difference. God understands. God knows. He he hates it because it hurts his children. It's not just his nature. That's a big part of it. But he knows what it does. Now, always remember those two parts. Next week, we're going to talk about the bad news about God and sin. That's about God's nature. He can't have sin around him. That's bad news for us. He's perfectly holy, he's perfectly just, he's wrathful because of sin. And we'll talk about that next week. And that explanation will help. But we've got to understand he also hates it because he knows what it does to his children. He knows.
All right, we've defined sin. We found out how much God detests it and a little bit of why. Now, what I want to finish with today, I want to get across the full sinfulness of sin. I sat down to prepare this. I said, what do I want to get out of this? I want them to understand how sinful sin is, how bad it really is, how what's so bad about sin. How do I do that? To people that are in this world, that have kind of a worldly view of sin in many instances. We've got people here who haven't experienced the results of sin. Young people don't understand when their parents says you can't do this and you can't do that. They don't understand. Well, I'll be all right. Well, you might be all right, but... Those are bad things. They lead to bad things. Why can't I stay out after midnight? Because nothing good happens after midnight. Everybody knows that. Kids don't know that yet, but everybody else knows it. How do you explain it? I remember sitting in a youth group meeting one time a number of years ago when my boys were in the youth group, I think. I sat beside the guest speaker. He was a heroin addict. He told what he had done. He told the kids what he had done because of heroin. He told the kids what he had done for heroin. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't give you the nice dictionary definition. He was talking real life. And I thought, what if somehow I could just get God to sit down with this group this morning and tell you the truth about sin? Just just cut loose. Just let you know what sin's really like. Don't mind the language. Don't try to be churchy. Just tell it like it is. I thought that'd be cool if I could get God to do that. Well... The more I kept looking in the Bible about sin, I found out God does that. He doesn't just give you a definition of the Greek word. He doesn't just tell you that he hates it. He, he tells you what it's like. Listen to this. He calls it filth. He calls it defiling filth. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and Ezekiel 20, verse 43, you can look them up when you get home. He says, sin is defiling filth. Watching a show on TV the other night about hoarders. This guy had a whole yard full of cars and he wouldn't get rid of them. They decided, let's try this one first. They picked the worst looking car. It was a convertible. It was completely full, full of trash, junk. And one guy went out and picked up this towel out of it and he pelled it up. And it was covered with mold and rat excrement and all kinds of filth. And the hoarder said, oh, I can't get rid of that. I may need that. It's defiling filth. Go to, Picture yourself in Colorado walking down the mountain along a mountain stream, crystal clear. You're ready for a drink. You're ready for a swim in that beautiful creek. And you round a bend. And there is a two-foot sewage pipe coming from a town pouring raw sewage into this crystal clear stream. That's defiling filth. 
God says, he, he says it's like an open grave in Romans 3.13. Looking at sin is like looking into an open grave. Now, we're pretty sanitary these days with graves. We embalm our dead. We put them in a casket. We put them in a cement vault. We put them in a grave and cover it with dirt. In the old days, they just covered it with a little dirt. A dirt might blow away or an animal might dig at it. And then you look into that open grave and you see a decaying, filthy body. Sometimes we see it along the side of a road. There's an animal carcass that's half decayed. Sometimes when I'm hunting, I'll come upon an animal carcass and the top of it, I think, that looks pretty good. I wonder what the pelt's like and I'll kick it over. And on the other side are worms and maggots and filth and decay. God says looking at sin is like looking into an open grave. Somebody may be feeling a little faint by now. Let me tell you the truth. I really, really wanted you to see how sinful it is. Because that's the only way you'll know what being free from sin is like. I really, really wanted you to see that. And I thought, how can I do that? And I found these five things that God said about sin. And my first decision was, these are great. I'll put pictures up. I'll find pictures of these five things and I'll put them up on the screen so they can see them. And so I started Googling images. And I found the first one and I found, ooh, that's gross. And I keyed in the next one, decaying bodies. And I looked at all these decaying bodies. And I started to get close to losing it. You know, I had to swallow it kind of hard. And I put the third one in and I Googled through some of those. And I'd had enough. I couldn't look anymore. I thought, if I put those pictures up, I'm going to have to warn the parents. I'm going to have to have all the kids out of the auditorium. I won't have to put those little airline bags in the song racks. (laughs) Now, the kind side of me said, there's no way I can put those pictures up in the audience. I just can't do it. The preacher side of me wanted to put them up. Because the preacher side of me wants you to get how sinful sin is. And I think those would probably help, but... The kind side won. I didn't put them up. Understand, this is God's language. I'm not just trying to be gross or vulgar. I'm telling you what God himself says sin is like. He likens sin to poison. Romans 3.13. Well, that sounds better than the first two. What's wrong with poison? Well, what kind do you want to talk about? How about the brown recluse? A little bit of his poison will take huge chunks of your flesh out and rot it and decay it. Different kinds of snakes poison will bloat you or burn you or strangle you or make you hemorrhage blood out of every orifice. God says, sounds like poison. Now, I wouldn't use this next one in a sermon, but it's not my choice. It's God's language. He really does call it dog vomit. He says that's what sin is like. 
That's how bad it is. It's, it's like dog vomit. Now, that may be tough. Uh, some of you may not make you queasy at all. But you go Google a few hundred pictures. <laughs> and you'll find dog vomit in all colors and all consistencies. And some extra pictures of something called dog vomit mold that grows on dog vomit. I know that sounds gross, but it's God's language. He's looking for something to tell us how bad sin is. Finally, he describes sin as open, putrefying sores. Open, putrefying sores. Isaiah 1, 6 and 18. Think of gangrene. Think of leprosy. Think of other diseases that don't heal. They stay open and they bleed and they ooze and they stink. I think this is the one where I decided not to use pictures. We started with a simple human question, didn't we? What's so bad about sin? Well, I hope you aren't as blasé about sin as you were when you came in. God's attitude toward sin should make us sit up and take notice. The, the way God talks about sin should get our attention. Maybe we can start to understand why freedom from sin is the ultimate matter of life and death. Next week, we're going to talk about the bad news about God and sin. Now, that's got to do with his nature, his reaction to sin, and that's not good news for those of us who sin. But after that, we'll get to some of the good news in week three. So come back and learn the bad news about God and sin. All right. Now, while some of this may have been sort of shocking and vulgar and revolting, uh, I assure you the pictures were more shocking and revolting. The worst part probably to me, or the part that got my attention most, was when I scrolled through the pictures of lepers. I looked up leprosy. And I saw these lepers in all conditions of fingers and noses and things missing and sores oozing. And I saw what leprosy was really like. And I realized as I looked through there, yes, this is shocking and revolting and disgusting. But my Jesus welcomed those people. My, that, those are the people my Jesus hugged. Because he loved them. He healed them because he loved them. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what kind of sin. It, to God, of course, sin is sin. To us, some is worse than others. You may have done the worst thing you can possibly think of or I could possibly think of. But once we understand the good news, He loves you anyway. He wants to heal you and hug you and welcome you. If you need to come to Him this morning, come. Let's stand and sing.